Hey techies, I'm your host, Teja Custodi, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into the tech world to bring you the information that matters the most in a relatable, straightforward way. Today is a very special episode for you. I've been working on another podcast because really, can you just have even one with fellow tech enthusiast and friend Tristan Jutra called AI Named This Show. So I thought it would be a really fun treat to share one of my favorite episodes of AI Named This Show with you here. So what you're going to hear is actually from episode four entitled An AI a Day Keeps the Doctor Away. In that episode, Tristan and I examined the power of AI in medicine, including how ChatGPT diagnosed a boy's chronic pain and how a paralyzed woman regained her voice through brain signal decoding. All that and more in this special episode. Enjoy! Welcome back to yet another episode of AI Named This Show. We're once again your human hosts, if you can believe it or not. I'm Tasia Custodi. And I'm Tristan Jutra. So if you're new here on AI Name This Show, we try our best to decode all the jargon around AI and keep you up to date in a fast-moving world of artificial intelligence. And on today's episode, Tristan and I play doctor with AI. All right, the first story is not going to bode well for those who like to diagnose themselves via Google or Maybe it will, depending on your outlook. But Tristan, maybe you can give me the rundown here on how ChatGPT was recently used to actually successfully diagnose a young boy. Is this for real? Believe it or not. Now, a lot of us are used to going to Google or WebMD or whatever, and it turns out we have all the diseases, right? Well, one uh, woman named Courtney had spent three years and visited 17 specialists to find a diagnosis for her son Alex's chronic pain, which started after he used a a bouncy house during COVID-19. And she was just, she had gotten so frustrated with not getting any kind of diagnosis that seemed to fit the bill. So after all of these doctor's visits, hospital visits, tests, and whatnot, after Chad GPT came out, she thought, you know what, I'm just going to start putting some of these test results in here and notes that um, that I receive from these different health specialists, including results from MRIs and whatnot. And what Chad GPT suggested is that her son, Alex, had something called tethered cord syndrome. And it's sort of a, a like a variant of spina bifida. It's a neurological disorder caused by tissue attachments that limit the movement of the spinal cord. So that would you know explain the chronic pain when he was trying to move. So she found a neurosurgeon who actually you know, with this information in hand, and this neurosurgeon confirmed that that's what Alex actually had: tethered cord syndrome. Performed surgery and managed to fix it. So she's like, this woman. This mother, she's like, I'm not going crazy after all. You know, th- th- she felt validated, and she hopes that other people can be helped by, you know, by doing a little bit of homework on their own side. You know, it's it's always tricky with you know with doctors. They never like to be told what to do. But if you are an advocate for yourself or for your loved ones, you're gathering all the data. Perhaps some of these AI tools could be uh, a, a bit of a bit of help to nudge some healthcare professionals in the right direction. Part of me feels like this is incredible. 
And the other part of me feels like, uh-oh for me, because I am one of those people I mentioned off the top of the show that one thing happens and I am Googling immediately like, great, I'm dying. Perfect. So like the difference here, I think we really need to be clear is that this his symptoms kind of progressed and continued over time. And she did kind of think she was crazy at first, but then she was able to put a lot of detail into ChatGPT. So it's it's remarkable. So just a caveat, obviously don't, you know, it may not get it right every time, but this is something that is so amazing because this isn't like an everyday diagnosis, Tristan. This isn't just like, oh, he he must have hurt his you know leg on the jumpy house or whatever. Like, no. <laughs> so the, the good news is, is that it's early days and these large language models that have just scooped up so much data and are seem to be doing an, a reasonable job of making some connections that maybe we can't. And this is something that we'll be talking more and more about as, as this series goes on, about how these AIs are able to do pattern recognition, whether it's in text or in images and the like. So it's not only for diagnosing, however, AI is being used also to help people with existing conditions. Oh, yes. I have been itching to talk about this, Tristan. Oh, my gosh. So I first stumbled across a New York Times article, and it's about how a woman named Ann Johnson, in her when she was 30, suffered a massive stroke, and it took her ability to speak. And now, all these years later, AI is helping to restore it for her. So this is a lot to unpack here and I'll try to kind of dumb it down in ways. I'm so that, gonna, so I, was I can say, understand it. <laughs> I, will, I was gonna say in ways we all can understand that I was like, no, ways that I can understand because when I first read this, I thought, what is even happening here that this is physically working? So she was left paralyzed and unable to talk. And what doctors have done is they have implanted electrodes that like in, in her brain that can decode her brain signals as she silently tries to speak and say sentences. So she's thinking about what she wants to say. What is happening here is the, the converted brain signals are kind of written and vocalized into what we would call like our vocalized language. So they've also paired this as if that wasn't cool enough with an avatar that's on a computer screen that she can speak words and display smiles. You know, she could display emotions, purse her lips perhaps, and other type of expressions to go along with it. So they've actually made an avatar that is off of her likeness, Tristan. So it's not just like this weird kind of how we're used to like a series speech pattern. So it's, they're actually using a video from her wedding, which by the way was two years before this happened to her. And she had like a long wedding speech. So they've used this old video to be able to recreate her voice, which is another way they're using AI for her. It's remarkable. So this is the first instance of spoken words and facial expressions being directly synthesized from brain signals. It's 
honestly hard to comprehend for me. She actually chose her own avatar, which is really, really fun, obviously, to resemble herself. And that, along with her voice from that wedding speech, she, she said she was able to write this to Pam Bellock, who wrote the New York Times article. She said, quote, it let me feel like I was a whole person again. Can you even believe this, Tristan? Well, it's it's wild. And it, we need to clarify that this isn't going to solve every issue for people who aren't able to speak because there are different levels of cognitive ability for in people that aren't able to speak. Um, there are some people that are in you know, sort of a vegetative state and it might not necessarily unlock anything for them. But she had a stroke, which basically took away her ability to move, but she still had all of her cognitive faculties and she was she's she was locked in as they say so she had been she had been communicating with other people using a system where she had a pair of dollar store glasses with a little dot, little dot sticker uh, in between the eyes and she would she she over time she had been able to gain uh, some movement in some parts of her body with it move her her, her mouth and her face and um Still couldn't speak, but she could move her head a little bit and she could point to things on a screen to f to pick sentences from a computer screen. But a conversation which would take, you know, 20 seconds uh, between her and someone else would take like five to seven minutes using this computer aided system. So what it's really done is improve the quality of life for her and for those that she w wishes to communicate with and have conversations with so that they can speak a bit more efficiently. And she feels like she's having a more of a normal conversation with with people and it's just wild like this reminds me of the movie brainstorm starring christopher walken in, in the early 1980s where it was the same kind of thing they were actually working to decode the people's brain signals and then in that movie they they, they eventually started to record them including people's dreams and it got really wild but there's a similar sort of progression of the technology here where right now she is you know wired into a system and they are currently working on wireless versions uh, to eventually make this a little less intrusive for people. Again, this is exciting because it's early days. And there's experiments they had done with animals a couple of decades ago. Like into the, I think we may have mentioned this before with the tapping into the optic systems of like cats and being able to decode light and dark from the optic nerve. So this is like that, but you know, with a couple of decades of advancement in decoding different types of signals from the brain and with machine learning algorithms and some reinforcement from some training from humans to say, yeah, this is what this means. This is what this means. You train it on a set of text and then it understands what that text looks like in brain waves. And it goes, oh, okay. And then you can basically inform an entire vocabulary for the system. And it's, it, then it ends up like it's reading your mind. It's wild. Yeah. And not only that, but how the algorithms are designed and how the system works is that because it's always learning, it's going to keep figuring out new language patterns and make things more conversational. And they're actually saying that for in her case, it seems to be right about three quarters of the time, which I think is pretty impressive. So there are instances where it doesn't quite pick up that proper word, maybe like a preposition might mm -hmm. be off and that, mm -hmm. you know, how much that could screw up a whole sentence. But I mean, to consider how far and how fast we've come with this, three quarters of the time for somebody that was, you know, basically doing pointing with 
her eyes before and it taking so long to just communicate, you know, basic needs. This opens up just so much more for her. It's it's incredible. And, you know, like they're saying like approved wireless versions might be available within the next decade, which is crazy because like you mentioned, I mean, right now, obviously she's attached it, it literally goes from her brain through a wire to a computer. So to think of how fast that development can happen, it's crazy. And also, like you said, you know, this isn't a blanket thing that's gonna work for everybody because everybody's situation is different. And also because they're still experimenting on different methods for implantation. So they might be able to implant something a bit different, a bit deeper in a bit different section of the brain. And so there's all these little nuances, but boy, I have been sitting on this. It's just so exciting. This is the type of stuff when we talk about AI, when you and I were like, we got to make a show on AI. This is the stuff, Tristan. <laughs> it's, and it's, it feels like science fiction, but it's, it's science fact. And it's, again, this is a, a progression. This is, it feels like early days, but this kind of research has been happening for, for decades. But just imagine where it's going to be in five years 10 years, 20 years, miniaturization, you know, wireless technologies, the, the increased capacities of the machine learning models to do this. Um, and they're even talking about how they can you know, speed up the training process rather than having to, um, you know, you know, repeat, you know, you know or sort of recite mentally a thousand, over a thousand different words. They're talking about, you know, 39 word parts or phonemes so that you can assemble, um, you know, the, the, the words linguistically and uh, like how we normally speak. And sort of like a, a type of an expanded uh, alphabet, but phonemes instead of instead of uh, letters. So that really opens up a, quite a larger variety of uh, of words that the AI might be able to uh, decode because it's using the sounds, uh, in like how the sound how words sound in your head as opposed to specific words themselves. Not to dumb this down, but it is so cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we are in the future. It is here. It is now. Before we jump ahead though i do we gotta link this for people tristan because there are videos so there's a few different links i'm kind of referencing a new york times one but there are a couple different articles that have been written on Anne, and she's just absolutely incredible she travels all the way from saskatchewan canada to is it san francisco that she's going and doing this to i mean they are days in their van to do this she's kind of now dedicating her life to this research to help others she's absolutely incredible you guys have to see the videos that are accompany these articles because if you think this blows your mind <laughs> wait till you see it and how they implement it in in real life it's just oh this is it man yeah and i mean she was very patient it took 18 years from when her stroke happened she's been locked in for 18 years and now in a way she's got her voice back so there are other types of all sorts of research happening in in health and and medicine and there's a lot happening in the fields of um, drug research, and there are, you know, <laughs> one can think of you know certain pandemics, for example. Um, but the, the the great thing about AI is its its ability to process vast amounts of data, and they're talking about how AI can accelerate uh, drug discovery and how the scientists are using AI to discover new antibiotics, such as halicin, and predicting the structure and interaction of proteins and molecules. So you may recall a few, several years ago now, when I first got my PlayStation 3, 
I think it was from 2007 I got it. There was some software that you could load on it called Folding at Home. And this was a crowdsourcing project uh, for you know, scientific research for protein folding because proteins can be folded in potentially millions, if not billions of different ways. And there's only a certain number of ways that actually make sense and you can make useful you know, therapeutics from them, for example. So what this project did is let people with their home computers and ultimately their PlayStation 3s download and run this software and then have them, have them uh, running while you're not using your computer. I mean, you could do it while you're using your computer if you wanted to, but generally it's using the idle time. And so I'd leave my PS3 on at night, running this folding at home just to be part of the project. Similar to we, to other projects like SETI at home, which were scanning you know, reams of data from uh, radio telescopes and looking for signs of extraterrestrial life. So folding at home actually was retired a number of years ago, but what's, what's taken its place is the use of these AI uh, machine learning models, which can test millions of combinations of uh, you know pr fo protein folding um, sort of methods, or uh, you know, I'm not sure. You can tell I'm not a scientist, but it can test millions of protein folds, let's call them, and compounds that the, would result in a fraction of the time than traditional methods would take, and even faster than these legions of computers out there. Uh, it's important to note that it's not a magic bullet because these systems still need human guidance and validation, especially in safety-critical domains, uh, and healthcare being one of them, of course. And there's something called you know, uh, re re uh, human reinforcement uh, learning, which is, which is part of this. But after a while, then the machines start learning from themselves. Um, we also need a bit of the uh, reliability, trust, and ethics angles guided by humans as well, because the AI itself is, is sort of amoral. And right now, the systems aren't able to produce drugs without any human uh, intervention at this point. But at some point, they, they might get there. So, I mean, there is this potential to revolutionize the, um, the, the whole area of you know, drug discovery and address the problems of things like drug-resistant diseases, which you know, kill hundreds of thousands of people every year. We hear about superbugs, uh, antibiotic-resistant diseases, which, which are, are brutal. If you get something like that, you can throw every antibiotic in the world at you and it might not work. So AI is being used to try to find you know, novel treatments, novel antibiotics that can treat some of these um, superbugs. So the idea is that, you know, you can do this, you can do, have better results, lower costs, lower costs, and improve the uh, quality overall of this drug uh, development. And it, eventually, you, know, you combine this with the amazing efforts that have been made in, you know, genetic uh, research, decoding the human genome, which the original pro project was... Um, it, took, it, was like a, it was like 20 years ago, the Human Genome Project. It was like a billion dollars to decode the human genome. And now you can do it for like 10 bucks. It's just wild. So you start applying, you know, when these fields start to come together, we talked uh, previously about you know, combining things like AI and quantum computing. Well, you combine AI and, you know, genetic research and things like CRISPR and being able to create novel organisms or therapeutics. Who knows what's going to end up happening? It's very exciting, but it, it can also be, you know, a little scary. So you have to make sure that the, the ethics piece is definitely part of it. So one of the uh, one of the first ones that are on, is on people's mind is like, well, what do we do um, about uh, people that got COVID? There's been a number of treatments. Some work better than others. And of course, some researchers are focusing their efforts on 
COVID antivirals. So just to be clear, we're not talking about vaccines per se, but these are therapeutics for once someone already has COVID, um, what, what do you do? I mean, we've, we, you get people on you know, you know, ventilators and there's been mixed results with those. There's been a number of different types of uh, treatments that have been controversial and have mixed results and controversial findings and, and so on. Um, but these researchers in a couple different camps are using uh, AI tools to help generate COVID antivirals. Uh, one uh, group is from IBM and Oxford University, and they're finding that the antivirals can be made, designed, um, validated in months. So we, this whole mRNA technology was wild, how quickly we were able to sequence the, uh, the, the COVID um, genome. Now you put the, the sort of you know, similar kind of technologies, especially aided with AI, by AI, to actually help treat the symptoms once people have them. So we don't lose people once they actually have, uh, once they get uh, COVID-19. So IBM and Oxford have this one. And then we heard back in January, there's this uh, another company, a China-based company with some Canadians involved called In Silico. Yeah, so for the first time ever, a COVID-19 drug entirely designed by generative AI is not only approved for human use, but it's actually beginning clinical trials already. So here's the drug name. It's really, really fancy. ISM 3312, or as I'm going to call it, ISM 3312. <laughs> but the cool thing here is that it was discovered in mere months. Okay. Like when we think of the time saving here. So what they did was they slotted a 3D structure of 3CL protease into one of their in-house AI programs. And within a matter of days, the model was able to generate about 20 different potential drug candidates from scratch. Now, obviously, the founder and CEO of, is it Insilico? In is that it, how No, in, in silico, which means in glass. In silico. Yeah. Jeez, I thought this was like a fancy in silico. That's the Italian or something. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, in silico. I'm learning so much today. <laughs> now, obviously, the CEO, he's pumping it up. So I just want to preface. I have I've pulled a few quotes of his that I want to preface with saying, you know, take everything with a grain of salt because this is the CEO of this company. But he is saying, quote, the molecule is so stable. It is an absolutely novel molecule not found in any of the libraries of known therapeutics, which is a pretty big statement. But he's saying that, you know, because they've made this advancement and it showed a lot of promises in the studies that were done on mice, we don't know the results yet of the human trial, but he is saying like, basically this changes the game. If, if his company would have been given funding back when the pandemic first started. He's saying like, if he had to do this again with now the push and the funding and the support that he has from other like insurance companies and all the pharmaceuticals, he could redo this and develop something else in under a year. I mean, it's remarkable. And we, I think end of the year, we're gonna see the results of just the first clinical trial. So there's gonna be multi-phase and different groups. But I mean, he's really pumping this up. He he also said something about, and I hesitate to say it, but he did also mention something about how it possibly, in his mind, could be used to be preventative as well, 
don't want to talk too much about that because I don't I don't want to push that rhetoric a bit too much. But he is also saying that it doesn't, at least in the mice, which take that for what you will, it didn't have a lot of the side effects that you would see that other people had, like, say, the rebound effect from was it Paxlovid or one of the other ones? I can't mm-hmm. remember. Paxlovid, but, yeah. you know, that rebound COVID effect. So he's saying, like, he doesn't expect that to be the case either. So I'm really curious. We have to do a follow up on this end of the year if we get the results of at least round one of the clinical trial which if we don't get results you mean it means we know we didn't go well <laughs> but we got to do a follow-up yeah and so in june they would go into, into clinical trials and just to be clear like they started on this back in 2020 it came out our, our radar around january this year but they got going as soon as the the pandemic hit and they'd had some struggles with like you mentioned with funding even with access to the viruses, uh, just because the priority was being given to the you know the big pharmaceutical companies in part of Operation Warp Speed in the United States and its uh, analogs uh, elsewhere in the world, but like you said, you know, being able to do it all over again with what they know now and what you know the funding that they have now, they could do things a lot more quickly. And some of the results are starting to filter through from some of those first clinical trials. Early results look like it might be uh, effective against every variant so far, so that's promising. And then this anti um, this antiviral could be uh, taken orally as well. So for those people who aren't a big fan of getting uh, needles, so again, yeah, it's not a vaccine. No, not a, not a vaccine. This is if you've already got COVID, then how do we make sure you don't get seriously ill or die from it? So moving from you know treatments of those who have COVID, how do we you know, avoid or predict the next pandemic. And there are researchers that are uh, working um, you know, working to help us uh, you know, avoid you know, the next pandemic or at least prepare, figure out where it's going to come from. Um, you know, especially, I mean, it's tricky nowadays with so much uh, you know, misinformation and disinformation uh, being out there. But a Toronto-based uh, company called Blue Dot was among the first to detect signs of what later became known as uh, covid 19. Yeah. Did you hear about this when it first happened? Because this is back, by the way, in December of 2019. So just to set the scene, we were all so naive, (laughs) so young, so naive. We didn't know it was coming. But this company. Uh, Hold that thought. I remember early, early 2020, I was sitting at McDonald's after playing floor hockey with friends and it was just me and one other guy one of our goalies we we're sitting there and up on the on the tv screen there was a news story about oh this coronavirus thing there's something there's a bit of an outbreak in china and we were ta- I remember saying to him, he's like i wonder if this is gonna go anywhere or right. if this is you know like is this gonna affect us what what we didn't know oh my gosh so these cats were on the case in late 2019 you say yes so what they did was they they used AI to scour tens of thousands of articles every single day in dozens of languages. And its system actually ended up spotting an article about what was, quote, a pneumonia of unknown cause. And that was on the morning of December 31st, 2019. Happy and New guess Year's what? Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve. Happy New Year to you. They were able to send out an alert to their clients on the same day. That's to put this into perspective a, about a week before the U.S., the, like the CDC um, and the World Health Organization issued their own alerts. And I mean, we're not going to get into the whole kerfuffle that was happening around that. But like they literally got ahead of this thing. Now, obviously, with great responsibility. 
With great power comes great responsibility. Yes, exactly. And great risk. I'm here so, for the, super, the Spider-Man quote. So, yeah. Yes. So obviously these work, like these models work by trying to detect the relationship between words. It's not necessarily detecting whether or not these words are factual. So hence, you can have a lot of misinformation spread just as quickly as a pandemic, if you will, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when it's in the wrong hand. So it's it's very, very cool technology, but we do need to kind of be thinking about how do we put these safeguards in place to be able to also identify not just logical words, but words that are not, are actually factual and then and then fact check it before you spread the information. Yeah. And, and there are ways you know, rather than just like, I mean, you can look at the news ecosystem for some signals, some some red flags. But if you tap into other sources, say um, health information networks, where they may have details about what are thought to be, say, flu diagnoses. And that is one of the things that have came up like in various hospitals. Oh, we're, we're seeing these you know, upper respiratory you know, tract infections. We're not sure. So if you have data feeds coming in from all sorts of uh, sources or, you know, around the world and tracking the different types of infections and like, oh, we're seeing some trends here. Is this actually the flu or is this something else? Then you could always cross-reference with other information. I mean, there are some systems that look at the the sewer systems and what, what's being detected in there. But you could also compare and contrast with feeds coming through the news wires and whatnot and different reports of potential outbreaks or illnesses or, or what have you. But that's the power of these machine, learning, these machine learning systems is to analyze these vast troves of data and try to find the patterns in them. And so it's not necessarily just about the next COVID outbreak. It could be you know, the next polio outbreak in the developing world. And one late breaking story just before we went to record is about a Canadian university that is using AI to help combat infectious diseases diseases in the developing world, specifically the global south. And here's another one of these great names for you, Tasia. This program is called AI4PEP, which is the Artificial Intelligence for Pandemic and Epidemic Preparedness Network. It rolls off the top. Yes, exactly. So so similar to the the COVID-specific one is merging knowledge from researchers, policymakers, and local community experts to create AI-powered tools tailored to specific countries and needs. And it's received uh, millions and uh, over $7 million in funding. And uh, there are projects, uh, 16 projects from 47 countries across Africa, Asia, Latin America, the Caribbean, and the Middle East. So they're focusing on early detection of diseases, warning systems, response, and mitigation and control of epidemics using a, an approach that values local knowledge and data. And that, and that last part's key because sometimes you know, we have our own you know, Western medicine way of thinking about things, and sometimes we miss signals. So by tapping into local knowledge, and they may use, use different language, they may have you know different therapies for, for folks, and whether those therapies work or not, if they're able to tune in to what folks are doing you know, on the ground in these developing countries, they may be able to ingest some of those uh, data points into these systems to help uh, you know detect and mitigate the next potential uh, epidemic or pandemic, as the case may be. We want to try to get a handle on any emerging infectious disease outbreaks, uh, wherever they are, and not just COVID-related ones. So there's so much happening in the world of uh, AI and healthcare and medicine and research. It's just, and it's it's still relatively early days. We could have had just a whole AI show, an entire an entire podcast, not episode, podcast dedicated to AI and health. 
it's it's wild and we're going to keep you updated that's our promise well thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of ai name this show because we're still new we would absolutely love your feedback you can email us at feedback at ai named you can also find us anywhere you get your podcast so be sure to give us a follow share this episode leave us a review that also really helps people find this podcast as well five stars preferably <laughs> yeah five stars please that's i mean come on five stars or just leave it what are you even listening to this for if it's not five stars <laughs> we're also on all of the socials we are at ai named this show on facebook instagram youtube and the platform formerly known as twitter and more so once again thank you so much for joining us for another riveting episode bye bye so that was a special preview of AI Named This Show, which just like Talk Techie to Me, you can find anywhere you get your podcasts. Please rate, share, and review Talk Techie to Me on Apple Podcasts. It really does help get this show out to more awesome people just like you. You can connect with me on the interwebs. I'm at Tasia Custody on all the things. Plus, I've finally set up a Patreon. So come on over there and become a patron for special perks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Talk Techie to Me, and we'll chat real soon. 